Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 93. Psalms chapter 93, we read, The Lord reigns, He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, He is put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This psalm, uh, depending on the formatting of your Bible, uh, it's likely that you can see with some spaces how they would, for instance, when we read song lyrics, segment out verses from chorus and whatnot. You can probably see what looks like three major divisions in this psalm. And thematically, it does this. It begins with an admiration of who God is and ends with an admiration of who God is. And wedged in the middle is the, the concern of the surrounding world, the concern of the chaos in which we live, but that that is kept in perspective by the acknowledgement and by the proclamation of the goodness and greatness of God. As we read verses 1 and 2, we see the picture of who God is as sovereign over all of creation, who He is as the ruler and the authority of all things, who He is as above all else enthroned in heaven. It is the great equalizer, that which brings everything back into perspective, the Lord on His throne. He's painted and portrayed as one would a king by the acknowledgement of his robes, his clothes, his kingly garments, as well as the status of his throne and his kingdom. His robes are described as being majesty, that which that is reserved for awestruck wonder, that which is majestic. We as a people, I think largely because of how temporal we are, largely for how selfish we are, largely for how busy and fast-paced we are, far too often prevent ourselves from being in positions of awestruck wonder. To consider moments, to consider the view from the mountain, to consider the view of the ocean, to consider the storm that rages and that hint of peace, to, for instance, watch as the summer thunderhead rolls its way in and you see what just cannot be helped but acknowledges the grandeur and the power of that weather format. To watch with amazement the birth of a child. To see things that should stun us, that we cannot help but say, I, I can't speak. I need to just take it in because of the majesty. 
We've grown, we've grown numb and dull and done ourselves a disservice because the greatness that we can find here is nothing but a pale shade of the greatness and the majesty of the one who sits on the throne. Robed in majesty. He's not only robed, but he's used strength as his belt. He's put on strength as his belt. Part of who he is as creator God is supreme over all in power and might. He holds it together. There is nothing that can overcome him. It girds his waist. It is that which holds together the dressing by which he stands there. Is his power over all. We see this in creation itself. The world is established. It shall never be moved. Why is it we can look at something as fragile as our planet? One degree separated from the sun, too cold for human life. One degree closer, too hot for life to last. Angled just perfectly in its rotation for the seasons... the moon just far enough away that gravity can act as it does to see how fragile doomsday could be, and yet we do not walk around with panic and fear. Why? Because the mighty, powerful, sovereign king of all of creation spoke it intentionally into existence, established it according to the purpose of his desire and design and by his power holds it there. Why is there no risk? Why is there no gamble with waking up in the morning? Because of the one who has placed everything where it goes and rules over it. His throne, established from of old, You are from everlasting. No one has sat on the throne of God but God, and no one will ever sit on the throne of God but God. His very seat as king, throne by which he sits and rules over all, communicates everlasting to everlasting. Alpha and omega, beginning and end. Infinite past, infinite future. There was not a day where he was not, nor will there be a day where he is not. Given this, given the majesty of God, given his strength, given his creation intentional and held together by him, given his eternal throne, thrice we see the floods, the threat present among men. The floods have lifted up. They're rising, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. Not only are they rising, but they are screaming at me. The floods have lifted up. They're roaring, intensifying the point. Yet, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, no matter what that chaos, no matter what that flood, no matter what that pain, no matter what that heartache, no matter what that threat might be, mightier than all, the Lord on high is mighty. A reiteration of the first principle and characteristic uttered in this psalm. I don't care how grave the threat, how speechless it might make you, there is something greater and mightier and more worthy of praise and all, and that is the one who created it. 
Far too often we read of Christ asleep on the boat with his disciples and the storm is raging and they're panicking and Christ wakes up and says, peace be still. And we turn that into, what's the storm in your life? That is not the point of that passage. The point of that passage is that those disciples failed to understand through whom, in whom, by whom that very storm was created for whom that storm was created and in whom it is held together. Colossians 1 tells us that is the Son of God. The point of that passage isn't just that Christ can calm the storm in your life. The point of that passage is that storm is owned by Christ, created by Christ, placed by Christ, and if it were not for Christ, it would implode into the non-existent ether. The point is that he's God. Your decrees are trustworthy. When God speaks, we must listen. What is the word of God? What is the act of revelation? Far too, we have the problem nowadays. It's a problem man has always had. In Christ's own day, the Pharisees complained about uh, the, apostles, the disciples not washing their hands before they ate. And Christ says, Isaiah was correct when he said that you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You teach man's law as if it's God's law. Nowhere in Revelation, Genesis to the book of Revelation, nowhere in God's word do you see God command men to wash their hands. No. It was the teachers of the law that taught that as additional ruling, additional law, additional revelation, additional word of God. And Christ says, I don't play that game. I refuse to let you give me something and say, thus saith the Lord, if the Lord has not spoken, as Jeremiah has said. When Israel reads in Psalm 93, your decrees are very trustworthy, they know good and well what they're speaking of. They're speaking of the law of Moses. They're speaking of what Moses put pen to paper and said, God has spoken this. Yet we live in the chaotic world of the Lord has given me a word today. And that word is courage. The Lord has given me a word today and that is that you're coming into a season where your finances will get worked out. Shut up. Don't you dare place words in the mouth of God. He has spoken. There's a pastor by the name of Justin Peters. Um, he's in a wheelchair and he's made it one of his life purposes to save people from this type of theology. And he says, you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible. You want to hear it audibly, read your Bible out loud. The trustworthiness. What, what ground can I place my feet and know that it will not be shaken? Well, when Christ says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, I can die on that hill. It's trustworthy. The Apostle Paul says, these words are trustworthy and worthy of all of full acceptance. Christ came to die for sinners, among whom I am the foremost. 
Holiness befits your house. Once more, as we saw in the beginning of the psalm, of the majesty of the robes of God, the strength of the belt of God, the eternality of the throne of God, this picture of what it looks like to walk into the throne room. The house of God is holy. Look at the law of Moses. Look at the requirements. One man could enter the holiest of holies, the high priest, and there was a whole song and dance that enabled him to do so. And once a year he could do it to make atonement for the entire people of God. Why? Is it because there was something special about that? No. Why would Moses have to take his sandals off before the burning bush? Is it because the bush was incredible? No. It's because it's hallowed ground. We might be able to burst into the homes of our earthly fathers and put our feet up on the kitchen table. We dare not do so in the home of our heavenly father. His house, holiness befits it. It's separate. It's other. You don't just march in. You're welcomed in. You're pulled in. You're drawn in by the blood of the Son. O Lord, forevermore beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. Why is it that we can sing the goodness of God? Why is it that we can sing no matter what the waves might be? Hallowed be the name of the Lord because of who He is, because of His majesty, because of His strength, because of His eternality, because of His sovereignty, because He's God. Colossians chapter 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him the rec- uh, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's one issue in this world that holds eternal consequence. And that is, who are we before God? One real threat. And yet before that threat, peace has come. And that peace has come from the blood of the one who made all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy again extended to us, your children, this day. I ask that you would use us to bring glory to your name, that you would use us Uh, to worship you, that you would use us as you accomplish your purposes and pursue your coming kingdom, that we would find great joy and great pleasure in you, that we would rejoice in you and know you intimately. Guide us in your holiness, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, let's stand for one more song.